All right. Good morning, church family. Good to see you guys. Hope you guys are doing well. Hey, before we get into the service today, I just want to take a moment and, and make sure and lift up uh, the state of Florida, uh, the states that are going to be affected uh, by Irma. Uh, man, she is one cranky lady, I'll tell you. Uh, and uh, you know, we've got a lot of friends, church friends, pastors that we have a relationship with that are in the direct path of that storm. Actually, Pastor Randy Bazette, Pastor Rick's brother, his church is is going to get a direct hit from that storm. And uh, as far as we know, everybody's in a safe place, but obviously there's going to be a, a lot of devastation and lives. They're going to be impacted by that. I think when things like this happen, it, it, a lot of things seem to indicate like, man, it seems like maybe Jesus is going to come back soon. It seems that way prophetically, biblically speaking. But, but here's the thing. You could find yourself in a conversation, possibly even a weird conversation as to why these types of things happen and why are they happening right now. And in my experience, uh, you don't necessarily need to, to understand exactly why or who is causing this because uh, it's not necessarily the devil and it's not necessarily God. But what I've learned is both of those people want to use whatever happens. And we have a lot to do with choosing who gets to use it. And so what we are believing for is that in spite of why this is happening, God is going to use it, that his promises are still true. And that when he says that he works everything for good for those who love him or called according to his purpose, he even means big hurricanes. He works those things for good. And our prayer, as we stand in the gap and believe that God is going to be the one that gets the glory, that God is going to use this, that there is a spiritual storm that is happening that is blowing chains off of people's lives and setting them free and restoring marriage. And the people that never in their life would have ever thought they would have called on God are going to call on God for the first time and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's just pray together this morning. Let's pray for those churches. Let's pray for that state, those people. Father, we thank you. You're sovereign. You're in control. This thing doesn't surprise you. It's not like you woke up a few days ago and said, angels, what's going on? What's going on with this storm? You know every intricate detail. And here's the thing, God. You know every individual that is going to be affected by this. You know exactly where they stand in relationship with you. And I thank you that you are going to move by your spirit, the great counselor, helper, and healer, to move into every one of their lives and draw them in closer relationship with who you are. We thank you that you use devastation to bring healing. You use devastation to bring wholeness. You use devastation to bring salvation. That people will have eternal address changes in light of this storm and in light of what it may produce in their lives. We thank you for that. And as a body of Christ, we stand in the gap for our friends. We stand in the gap for those churches. We pray your protection over them in Jesus' name. We thank you, God for the divine appointments that are going to happen because of this storm where people are going to get to see the hands and feet of Jesus working through the body of Christ to love them, to provide for them, help us to be available and willing to do what we can, be with all the first responders, Lord, as they're driving into the storm with so many people running away, they're driving into it, protect them in Jesus' name. Let every one of them have an encounter with you as they get ready to, to see and experience the things that they're going to see and experience. We thank you for who you are, your power, your strength, and we do say, Jesus, come in Jesus' name. Everybody that believes it said, amen, amen. amen. All right, well, uh, we are continuing this series, as Jared mentioned, Real Love in an Angry World. And the reason why we got to do this, ser uh, this series is because the world is cranky right now. 
So cranky. I mean, everything, whether it's race or politics, even nature is cranky right now. Uh, here's an interesting fact. Do you know all hurricanes used to be named after women? I'm just saying, like, I don't know if there's something in that or not, but whoo, she got some pent up aggression right now. I mean, and whoo, uh, but it's like everything is on edge and, and, and we can be offended at just about anything. There's people offended about statues, bathrooms, Taylor Swift's new song. People are just offended all over the place. You know, look what you made me do. People just mad and angry. And we can get mad about big things and little things. A lot of times it's the little things that kind of culminate. You know, I'm guilty of this. I can get angry about really little, insignificant, kind of dumb stuff. Like when you can't find the TV remote. Come on now, y'all, or the TV remote's not working. The stress in that home will increase until there is resolution. I will begin to pay my children to find it. Like, I'll, I'll use their college fund. We're going to get this situated because we've got to have peace back around. Being able, because it is way, it's too much to ask to walk over to that TV and push a button and turn it on. Come on now. We have devices that send signals to help with that kind of stuff. So we, we, those kinds of things can frustrate us. Or when you're at the grocery store and you go to the express lane and there's somebody in front of you who clearly doesn't know how to read and they got 50 items. And so, you know, you're grunting and clearing your throat and darting your eyes at the sign that says 10 items or less. They don't care. They don't care. They're just checking things through. And then they get done, all 50 items, and they pull out coupons. And then you know without a shadow of a doubt they do not know the Lord. It is clear that they are not a Christian. Here's the thing, though. You ever been in that spot and, and you went there? Because here's the deal. I, I, I show up to the express checkout line. I got the right amount of items, you know. Like, I respect the system that's going on, you know. I respect authority. And the authority of that store has dictated that is an express line. But sometimes I'll get there and I, you know, I'll check through and I'll be like, yes, express lane. Y'all know what it's about. I know how to do this. Get up there and I don't have my wallet. And the guy behind me is cussing and he's not a Christian. And so obviously got to have some patience or, 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 or y'all, I'll confess. I, I can, I can get in the flesh a little bit about bad drivers. Anybody get a little bit upset about bad drivers? Okay. Some of y'all are the bad drivers clearly. And uh, if you're not sure you are, you are the bad driver. One thing though, on ramps, on ramps are specifically designed to allow an individual to adjust their speed to the appropriate limits to enter into traffic on a highway in such a way that maintains peace and joy for everybody involved. You have a quarter mile to go from 35 miles an hour to 70 to 80 miles an hour. I don't care what you drive, your vehicle is capable, but your flesh is weak and you have got to learn to press the gas. 
We had somebody call a couple weeks ago, lady really upset. She said, I was out on the, the highway and I was in the fast lane and I felt that I was driving the appropriate speed in the fast lane and suddenly somebody came by me in the slow lane, flying by me, flipped me off, cussing at me. And I said, ma'am, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. She says, oh, it gets worse. They had a New Life Church sticker on the back of their car. <laughs> I said, ma'am, I'm going to deal with this, I promise. So I hung up with her. I went right out to the parking lot, took the NLC sticker off the back of Jared's car. We haven't got another call since. <laughs> totally fixed the deal. He's a pastor and a Christian, but just barely. The world that we live in needs love because they're cranky. But here's the deal, though. We are the vehicle that delivers that love. God said, you're going to be the people. You're going to be the ones that actually go and demonstrate, that bring that love to the world that's around you. And throughout the word of God, it's so clear. You know, Jesus, when he was here on earth, he was the literal body of Christ. And he loved and he healed and he went to the broken and he did all those things. But when he left and he ascended into heaven, he clearly passed the job off to us. He says, now you're going to be my body. And in 1 Corinthians, when it talks about the body of Christ and all the parts working together, see, he didn't say you have to be the whole body. He just says, you got to be the part that I'm giving to you. And you got to be faithful with that. But when the whole body isn't working together, we become an ineffective delivery system for the love that Jesus has poured into us. And so he's saying, you've got to work together to make this happen. In Matthew chapter 5, and he talks about being salt and light. He says, but even, even salt, it can lose its flavor. And some of us, man, we've been a Christian for a long time, but we've lost some of the flavor of Jesus in our lives. We've lost it. And so even when we go out and we... We try to be around the world. They can't tell the difference in the flavor between us and everybody else. We keep the flavor of Jesus strong in our lives by staying close to the flavor of Jesus and making sure that we're spending time with him, we're talking with him, and we're letting him talk to us. But if we don't, we become an ineffective delivery system for the love of Jesus. Or in chapter 12, the book of Mark, when Jesus trumps every other law and every other commandment and gives us the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God. Starts there, it starts there. Love the Lord your God with everything you have because when you do that, he will pour himself into you. He'll pour himself into you. And the rest of the commandment is and love each other. Love the people around you. The most important, the biggest job that we have is to love God first and let the overflow of that love impact others around us. If we do nothing else, that's the most important thing. But I think for a lot of us, it's hard for us to do that because maybe we haven't experienced, maybe we haven't had a true personal revelation of his love for us. And so it's really difficult to give what you don't have. And maybe it's because we're just not really completely clear exactly what his love looks like. And maybe because the definition that we've seen or the example that we've seen is a bad example. 
an unbiblical example. What does the love of God look like? I mentioned it before, but I think we we got to see a lot of that happening around the Houston area. In the last few days, man, people really, really love it. But here's what I noticed. If you're not in the middle of it and if you're away from it and if you just pay attention to the narrative that's being generated, you may not be convinced that the love of God triumphs over everything. But when I talk to people that are in the mix and in the middle and in the fight and in the middle of the devastation, they talk about the love of Jesus Christ. They talk about how it's being demonstrated. They talk about how people are seeing it, feeling it, and it's changing lives. And I think that's a great example that sometimes we say we love, but we stand at a distance. And God says, get in the fight, get in the middle of the storm, get in the middle of the devastation of people's lives. And then they'll see, and then they'll be convinced. Sometimes to experience what it means to really be the delivery system of God's love, you've got to be really close to where it's needed the most. But I want to talk about some attributes, some, th- some things about God's love that are important for all of us to know. And that is, first of all, God's love is countercultural. It's countercultural. It doesn't look like the love that the rest of the world is trying to convince us is love that really isn't love. It's countercultural because Jesus was always loving on the people that everyone said, don't love them. We don't love them. We stay away from them. Jesus was always loving the unlovable. He would go and he would pray, lay hands on people that had leprosy. You have to understand, like these people, they were the outcast. So much so they didn't even get to live around other people. They had to be in their own colony, away from everyone. They had to wear bells so the people could hear them walking around. If they thought that they were coming close to people, they had to yell and scream how unclean they were how filthy they were. And Jesus went right into the middle of their deformed, mutilated bodies and loved them. I had an opportunity a a, a few years back to go to a leper colony in Nepal, which is crazy that they even have these places because with all the medication and everything, it's not contagious anymore, but people's mindset is, is just gripped with fear that this could happen to them. And, and when you meet these people, what this disease does is it, it attacks the extremities first. So your, their noses, their ears, and a lot of times they've just fallen off. Their fingers are missing. They have no toes. And it just keeps eating away at your body. But these are people and their souls. And I'll never forget what it was like to put Whatever amount of love and grace that I had in the form of a hand on a shoulder and to see someone's eyes light up like they hadn't been loved their whole life. But that kind of love is countercultural because that kind of love goes to somebody in the middle of their mess, in the deformity of their life, and loves them. Jesus would hang out around sinners At one point in Matthew chapter 9, he calls out to Matthew, who's a tax collector. It's like the worst sinner around. These people were hated. They were hated because they would would take taxes and then they would give it to the Roman government. And the Romans were hated because they were this, this horrible, controlling, unfair government. 
And they wouldn't just give it to them, but they would hold a lot for themselves. And so they're hated and considered just the worst kind of sinner. Not protecting God's people. Stealing from God's people. And Jesus went up to one of the worst kinds of sinners and says, Hey, I want to go to your house today and eat with you. And I'm not just going to eat with you. I'm going to call you to be on my team. You see, sometimes it's not just about loving people where they're at. It's also speaking purpose into them and helping them understand that in spite of where they've been in their past, God has a plan for their future. And we say this all the time, but we believe that there are people probably sitting in this service right now and outside of church. You may struggle. You may have secret sin. You may be smoking pot and drinking. One day you're going to be one of our campus pastors because that's how the love of Jesus works in people's lives. It finds them, it restores them, and it gives them purpose. But this is the kind of love that is countercultural. The world doesn't love like this. In John chapter 4, there's an example of Jesus going out of his way, walking out of his way to go to a place in Samaria where a Samaritan, the Samaritans were considered a lower class of human being by the Jews. In fact, in many cases, they would call them things like dogs. And so he's going to this place and he is a rabbi. He is a rabbi going to the Samaritans. And not only did he go to the Samaritans, he went and found a Samaritan woman. Rabbis don't talk to women and they sure don't talk to Samaritan women. And not only did he go and talk to a Samaritan woman, he found this Samaritan woman who was getting water in the middle of the day. And what that indicates is she's one of those women. Because everyone else would collect water early in the morning or early in the evening or late in the day because it was cool then to go out in the heat of the day in the Middle East to collect water meant she was trying to avoid embarrassment. She was trying to avoid shame. She was trying to avoid the rumors and the, the staring eyes and the gawking men. Because the truth was that she had been looking for love, but in all the wrong places. She'd been married five times and was currently living with another man that she wasn't married to. And Jesus didn't judge her. And Jesus didn't make her feel bad about her current situation and circumstance. He simply showed her her value and spoke that value and spoke truth. Not the truth according to the world, not the truth according to her situation, not the truth according to her choices, but the truth of who she is in him. And because she spoke that love and that purpose, she went back into the village, brought everybody out, and the whole village got saved. And that's the kind of love that God has asked us to have. But it's countercultural. One of the reasons why the world doesn't know what real love is is because the church has made the world the enemy. The world is not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. You see, this woman was not the enemy. She was, she was a victim to the enemy. And that's what the world is. The world is a victim to the enemy's plan. But a lot of times, because it feels like the church thinks that they're the enemy... They're backed into a corner. Of course they're angry at us. Because they, they think that we think they're the bad guy. Instead of showing countercultural love. 
The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He divides, he marginalizes people. But Jesus crossed every one of those lines, every one of those cultural barriers to go and love people no matter who they were. Another thing about God's love is God's love is selfless. God's love is selfless. Like, we like to talk about love, right? I mean, all, all these songs, like, written about love. You know, we like all that. We like a certain definition of love. But it's hard, you know, it's hard talking about love because love is a battlefield, you know? And then, but, but when you realize that really all you need is love, right? So we like to, we like to talk and we like to sing. And then, but then there's lyrics like this. And I think this is the, the real kind of love that, that, that most of the world likes. You've probably heard these lyrics before. I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. But don't be sad because two out of three ain't bad. That is written by the profound, legendary, romantic meatloaf. But I think those lyrics are exactly what love has become in our culture. How does your love serve me? What are you going to do for me? How are you going to fulfill me? But real love is not about you. It says this in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as the same as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And this is quite possibly one of the most unfair scriptures in the whole Bible. I mean, think about it. Because I mean, God could have said, look, just love, love your wife a little bit more than how your daddy loved your mom. Just love, love her a little more than that. And if you'll do that, progressively, things will just kind of get better, you know? You know, or, or he could have said, just love, love her like Harry loves Sally. Uh, love, her like, love her like Meg Ryan loves Tom Hanks in like 37 movies, you know? <laughs> just, just love her. Or, or, or for the country boys. Man, just love her. Just love her more than you love your hunting dog. Love her a little more than you love college football. Love her, love her a little more than, than you love your truck. I know this is hard to ask. It's difficult. He could have said any of those things. But no. He took the greatest demonstration of love that was ever shown in the history of mankind and said, this is your standard of love. This is the standard of every Christian household. This is the standard of every marriage that you love her like Christ loved the church. But it extends beyond that. That as a bride, we love the world like Jesus loved it. Our standard is Jesus. That's our standard. And that is so unfair. How in the world you don't have the ability? He does. You get around him enough, he'll give you everything you need. But he's called us to love like he loves. How? First of all, he served his bride. He served 
He's pointing with the disciples that came in and the lowest form of the servants in any household was a servant that had to wash people's feet. Back then, they didn't have Nikes. They had sandals. They didn't have paved streets. They had dirt roads. And they had donkeys and camels. And the natural cycle of everything that comes out of the south end of a northbound animal all over the place. And so this is what is on these people's feet. And Jesus brings them in and kneels before them and washes the mess off of them. It just serves, gets in the middle of the mess. And he served every one of them, including Judas, who he knew was going to betray him. He also healed. He brought wholeness. He looked for people in their place of brokenness and, and, did, and did what he could do to bring wholeness. He fought for his bride. He fought for him. At one point, these money changers and, and people that were corrupt had set up all these tables that was blocking the way for people to even enter into the courts of the temple where the presence of God was. And this, that ticked Jesus off. He ticked Jesus off that there would be anything that would be hindering people from being able to go to where the presence of his father was. So he got into that place, and, and it's, the word says he fashioned a whip. He didn't have a whip. Like, he made one. He just found stuff around him and made a whip, like he's MacGyver. And he makes this whip, and he just starts throwing tables over and driving people out of here. Why? Because he didn't want anything. There was nothing more important. No career. No distraction. Nothing in this world was ever going to be more important than people being able to enter the presence of God. And thankfully, the presence of God is no longer contained in the temple. But he fought for his bride. Fought for her to be able to have access and he died to give her ultimate access. He laid down his life. This mutual submission where he says, I'm not better than you. I'm not more important than you. He esteemed us higher than himself. And marriage is this mutual submission of saying, I'm not more important than you. We're equally important. And I think that it's very important that we show that equal submission because the world thinks we think we're better than them. And we have to show them that we're not. That God loves us equally. God loves us equally. Also, God's love is relational. God's love is relational. There's a commitment to this, though. In the Bible, it's called a covenant. A covenant, which is a spiritual word for the strong agreement. There's always a demonstration with this agreement. And typically there was a symbol of this agreement. And so you're familiar with some of them. Throughout the word of God, with Noah after the flood. And he made this covenant. He made this agreement. He said, I'm never going to destroy the earth by water again. I'm never going to destroy the earth by flood again. And as a symbol of that, I'm going to give you a rainbow. Here's this rainbow that signifies the love and grace of God. 
It's amazing how the world likes to manipulate things. He gave him that symbol. And then Abraham came along a few hundred years later and and he said, look, I'm going to bless you and your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And through you, I'm going to build a legacy. Through you, generations will be blessed. And as a symbol of that agreement and that covenant, covenant, I'm giving you circumcision. And Abraham said, God, give me a rainbow. Because he was 80, and this just gets gross, okay? But these symbols of these strong agreements that God gave to Moses, the Ten Commandments. There's lots of examples throughout the Word of God, but there's this one point in the book of Genesis where this guy named Abimelech and Isaac, they had had some conflict, but Abimelech sees that there is this this blessing and God's hand is on Isaac, and, and he wants to be a part of that. And so he goes to Isaac to to try to create one of these agreements in Genesis 26, verse 28. We can plainly see that the Lord is with you. So we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let us make a covenant. Swear that you will not harm us just as we have not troubled you. We have always treated you well and have sent you on your way in peace. And now look how the Lord has blessed you. Saying, I'm not going to hurt you. Not only am I not going to hurt you, but I want to bless you. I want to help take care of you. And this is similar to the covenant and the promise and the agreement that we want to as a church and as pastors to make with every one of you. We don't ever want to hurt you. We don't want to steal. We're not going to blab your secrets all over the place. We're going to be nice to your kids, even when we feel strongly that your child needs their hind parts tore up. We're still going to be nice to them. And not only are we not going to hurt you, but we want to bless you. We want to meet you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your need, and do what we can to restore you. To restore you from your sin, to restore you from your addiction, to restore you from your struggles back into relationship with God through the body of Christ. And this is what I know. Right now, the world is starving for this kind of love. The kind of covenant relationship that is, that is truly loving. And here's the deal. If the church doesn't figure out how to start giving this kind of love to the world, the enemy has plenty of cheap alternatives to offer to them. The enemy will give them lots of things that will imitate love, but will never be love, and will always leave them empty. Always leave them unfulfilled. This is the whole purpose of the new covenant that is through Jesus Christ. All of us could probably side, even if we didn't go to church, we could rehearse John 3.16, but that whole verse is talking about the new covenant. This, This covenant relational love that God has given to us. The amazing thing is this, is no matter how many times we have broken the covenant, God keeps offering us another opportunity. I promise you this, the world is always going to break covenant. But it's still our responsibility to offer that covenant relational love that they so desperately need and that they truthfully desire. The enemy is trying to divide and confuse. It's our role as the body of Christ to offer the kind of love that brings unity. There's this example of Jesus doing this in John chapter 21. And he had been crucified 
buried, had resurrected. He's now in his glorified body, resurrected body. And he is going to and after the very people that had betrayed him and hurt him the most. His closest friends, his disciples. One of which was probably his closest friend, Peter, who had betrayed him the most out of any of them. And he is pursuing them and he is going after them. And so at one point he finds his disciples on this lake and they had just been fishing. In verse 11 it says, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. And there were 153 large fish. And the net had not been torn. There's a whole other teaching in that. But it's just talking about God's blessing. That even when it seems like it's too much, it won't tear your life apart. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? It's hard for them to recognize him in his glorified state. But they knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them bread and fish. Jesus served. Jesus went and found the very people who had broken covenant relationship with him. And said, I want to restore you. And Peter, just the verses that follow this is where Jesus is reinstating and restoring Peter back into relationship with him. It was relational though. You'll notice he didn't do this in the synagogue. He didn't do this in the temple. He went to where they were at and what they were doing in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their guilt from what they had done. And he served them and he loved them and he restored them back into relationship. And this is the picture of what God has asked us to do. But it happens through relationship. It happens from us going to people. There have been times in our lives where we desperately needed this. And I'm so thankful that we had the body of Christ around us in 2010 when Cody was diagnosed with skin cancer and it was aggressive and we weren't sure. And there was a lot of what ifs that were growing around our house. And we had three children and Reeves was six months old. And we knew that we were going to have to go through a process of procedures and different things that were going to be difficult. And we had people that were a part of our life group, that were a part of our small group, that were a part of our community that moved into our home so that we could be taken care of. So that nothing would ever need to be clean. So that no meal would ever need to be cooked. They just came in and showed the love of Jesus to us. And at one point or another, every single one of us is going to be in that place. And you better believe that's why we believe in life groups. That's why we believe in serve groups. That's why we believe in being connected with community. But you also have to know that there is a world outside of these four walls, outside of the four walls of your life group, outside of the four walls of serve teams that is desperately in need of somebody that will go to them even when they don't deserve it, even when they've broken every law, every covenant with God and says, God still loves you. God still wants to give you another chance. We're going to fight for you. We're going to believe in God's plan and purpose for your life. We're going to go to you. That's what God is asking the church to do. That is real love in an angry world. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. There are some of you that probably came in today and you're just hanging by a thread in relationship with God and you've had your own Hurricane Irma that has been over your life and maybe for a long time wreaking devastation over your thoughts, over your emotions, maybe over your health, over your physical life. And so you're not sure, or you certainly may even completely question whether or not God loves you. 
And I want you to know as clearly as possible, God loves you. He's always loved you. And he just wants you to come to him. He just wants you to come to him. He wants you to call out to him. And I promise you, if you'll do that, he's faithful. He's faithful. He's going to meet you right where you're at. So if you're here today and you need to call on the name of Jesus, maybe you've never called on him. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to him. Or maybe you just need to come back to him. You need to rededicate your life. If you're in that place, this is your moment right now. It is one of the most important decisions you can ever make. And I promise you, I'm not going to do anything weird to embarrass you. But I think it's important that if you feel like this is something that you need, that you respond. And I'm going to ask you to do that by just a simple act of faith. that just is an indication of you just confessing like, this is me. I need Jesus. If that's you, would you please just put your hand up right now. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. If you need a relationship with Jesus, as soon as I see you, can put your hand down. Yes, 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 yes. Got it. Anybody else? Got it. Man, I'm praying with you. I'm praying with you. Christians are praying. Got it. Back here in the back. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? I need a relationship with Jesus. I want to experience this love you're talking about. I don't think I ever have. Yes, ma'am. And I need it. I need real love. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, sir, got it. Okay. You know, in the first service today, we had one person raise their hand. And... And I love that. I love that in my heart, I was just like, man, that whole service was for that one person. In this service, we've had many hands raised, but the principle is still the same. The principle is this, if you were the only person, and if you were the only person that ever existed, Jesus would have come and did what he did just for you, just for you. And he wants to meet you right now, right here in your, in your chair. At one point or another, like we, we have water baptism coming up. And that is a great time for you to say, I want everybody to know that I'm a Christ follower. I want everybody to know what he's done in my life. But right now, right there in your chair, just talk to God. Just say this. Say, God, I, I need you to help me. I, I need your forgiveness. I know I can't save myself. But I believe that you... You came, Jesus, and you died on the cross for my sin. You paid the price that I can't pay. And right now, I I confess that I'm a sinner, but I also, I know that I can't keep living for myself. I want to live for you. I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to have control. God, I want to grow in an understanding of how much you love me. And I want to be filled with that love so that others can experience the love from me. Help me to understand that. Help me to grow in an understanding of your word. And God, help me to be connected to the body of Christ so that I can fulfill my purpose in you. Thank you for meeting with me. Thank you for your grace and your love and for giving me a new life. Father, I pray that all of us, we don't know when you're coming back, Lord. 
But whether it's a hundred years, a hundred days, a hundred hours, a hundred minutes, or a hundred seconds, let us live every moment like it could happen right now. And let us love people like it matters. Like it's the most important thing that we can do because it is. We thank you for that commission. We thank you for that charge. Help us to be faithful with it. We'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. We had a bunch of people raise their hand and get right with Jesus. Let's give God some praise for that today, amen.